Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Do lethal dog-like creatures roam North America's heartland by night? Are there such things as werewolves? What are skinwalkers? Hey, and welcome to the 213th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those pretty chilling questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Before we introduce our guest this evening, I suppose I shouldn't say this, but we do have listeners in Pittsburgh, but not in Green Bay. And our guest is from Green Bay, not well, not Green Bay, but Wisconsin and not Pittsburgh, so I will say absolutely nothing about the Super Bowl. Hopefully somebody in Pittsburgh is, is listening tonight anyway. Anyway, we are very pleased to have with us Linda S. Godfrey, an author and researcher of The Strange and Uncanny, who is especially well-known as an authority on the upright canine known in Wisconsin as the Beast of Bray Road, in Michigan as the Dog Man, and other places as Skinwalker, Werewolf, or a dozen other names. Linda appeared in, co-wrote, and co-produced the History Channel's Monster Quest episode, American Werewolf, based on her book, Hunting the American Werewolf, and also appeared in the show's season four finale. Her 12 books include, uh, 12 that I can count anyway, include Weird Michigan and Weird Wisconsin and sequels Strange Michigan and Strange Wisconsin, and most recently The Michigan Dogman, a book that uh, we're enjoying very much right now. Linda has been an award-winning newspaper reporter and art teacher and has appeared on many national television and radio shows such as Inside Edition, Discover Kids, Travel Channel, Sci-Fi Channel's News, New In Search Of, Coast to Coast AM Radio, and many more. She also was a breast cancer survivor, which to us adds the term hero to her resume as well. Her main websites, www.beastofbrayroad.com and weirdmichigan.com. Oh. Well, Linda Godfrey, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Oh, welcome back. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal. <laughs> Whatever. We're happy to have you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the very kind introduction. Well, Linda, we've been enjoying your book, as I say, The Michigan Dog Man, having a great time. Just looking at the titles, it's so well put together. Uh, the, uh, you know, the chapter headings and stuff and the names of the various critters. Uh, having spent many years as a professional editor myself, I have to compliment you on a very, very fine writing job. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Pat. Uh, okay, so. Why don't we start from uh, some sort of some of the amazing cases you talk about in your book? Tell us about the Michigan Dog Man. Well, the Michigan Dog Man is really just the the moniker for, as far as I can tell, exactly the same creature, but just when it appears in Michigan, and it had been seen for a long time. But the term was coined in the late 1980s when a Traverse City DJ thought he would. Um, write a ballad, mostly made up, but not all, for April Fool's Day and play it and then sell copies of the CD uh, to benefit a local animal shelter. He called it The Legend, and it was about the Michigan Dog Man. And to, to his surprise, people called in and said, that's no fool's joke. I saw this thing, or my grandpa saw this thing, or my uncle saw this thing. It's real. And he started getting all these um, people telling him that, that it was a, a phenomenon. And it's most prevalent in Michigan around the Manistee Forest area. That's along the eastern shore of Lake Michigan. 
<coughs> on Michigan's western border, and also strangely down around the Kalamazoo area. Um, but it's very much like what we call the Beast of Bray Road in Wisconsin, a wolf or dog-like creature with a long, pronounced muzzle, pointy ears on top of the head. In other words, a really canine head, not a Bigfoot head. Um, looks like a wolf or dog that can stand or walk or run upright on two legs. And the legs are definitely dog legs. They're not knee-jointed, flat-footed legs like you would see on any kind of a human or a great ape or even a bear. Runs on little dog legs. But uh, it's very aggressive, scares people a lot, never hurts them. The MO is almost identical in almost every case. And this is across the United States and in sightings that dating back to the 1930s. Really? I was going to ask you how far back they go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've got another question here. Okay, so how about the Beast of Bray Road? Since you mentioned that earlier, wasn't that one made right. into a movie? Yeah, well, well. <laughs> I saw that. It was pretty gory. I can imagine yeah. it had nothing to do with reality. No, um, you know, my publisher would have liked to have had um, some part in, in the profits of that, but there was so little similarity between the movie and what was in my book that mm-hmm. they, they couldn't find a basis. And they basically took the title and made kind of a werewolf slasher movie. You know, that's you know, happened to me, according to USA Today, anyway. I don't know. But I, <laughs> you know, I just understand. Uh, so yeah. well, tell us about the Beast of Bray Road. What's, what's, uh, what's the deal there? Or well, you said it's the same creature, but... It's you? yeah. It's the same. It's the same kind of thing that I just described, and really, it had not been anything that was on the radar until a, the, it was December of 1991, and I had just started working at a county-wide newspaper called The Week that was based in Delavan, Wisconsin. As a reporter, I'd been doing cartoons for them, editorial cartoons for them for a little while. And it came to my attention that people were saying there was something that they called a werewolf, for lack of a better term. People were seeing it around this country road just outside of Elkhorn, Wisconsin. And now we're talking southeastern Wisconsin in really a pretty populated part of the state. This is not out, you know, somewhere in the, the northern forests. And I thought it was kind of crazy at first. And I started asking around town, happens to be where I'm from, and learned that people were indeed taking it seriously. And I poked around a little more and discovered that our county animal control officer, a county official, mind you, had in his possession a manila file folder that he had labeled werewolf, again, for lack of a better word, because people were calling him to say, I saw this thing. I don't know what it was. You know, it stood five to seven feet tall, had dark hair all over its body, had a head like a wolf or a German shepherd, ran on its hind legs. And if there was such a thing as a werewolf, this is what it would be. And he really had no idea what the people were seeing, but he was dutifully filing their reports. And I talked about it with my editor. And once you have a county official with a manila file folder marked werewolf, that's news. Yeah, so at that point, we, we took it and ran with it, and uh, I interviewed all these people, and I was very skeptical, but as I began talking to them, they kind of wore my skepticism down because they were from all different ages and walks of life. There was a you know a young 
single mother in her early 30s. There was an older farmer. There was an elderly lady who was a factory worker. There was a group of uh, young junior high kids out on a sledding expedition who got chased by one. Um, you know, it just really ran the gamut. Professionals, uh, blue-collar workers, farmers, men, women, young, old. It didn't seem to matter. And none of them seemed crazy. None of them were saying, yeah, look at me. You know, I, I want attention. Anything like that. Most of them, uh, at least at first, preferred to remain anonymous. And, in fact, I wrote my first story uh, with them anonymous. However, once it hit AP, then um, all the TV stations went to the same source I did and got the names and, and the witnesses. Most of them eventually decided to go public. And it's these days it's about 50-50, about Half of them want to stay private, and half of them half of them say, I, "I could care less if anybody knows my name." But that was actually how the thing got its start. And I labored over what to call it in my article because, in my mind, I didn't think that it was a real Hollywood style werewolf. I wasn't sure it deserved that name. So I thought, well, beast could refer to either just a um, an animal of any kind. It could be a dragon. It could be a kitten. You know, beast is very generic. <laughs> and it also had this very nice uh, alliteration, you know, with Bray Road. So I called it the Beast of Bray Road, and that is what stuck. Wow. Okay, so you actually go out and, and research these cases. You don't just take third-hand stories and, and assume they're true. You go out and interview people and everything else. That's good. Well, I try to. You can't do it on every case. No. You know, there, there are some where the original witness is dead or they die before you can get to them. And not from animals, by the way, but that's happened. Or when it's way back in time or it's just too far, you know, nobody finances me. I don't have money for expensive expeditions. Every time somebody reports something, I can't go. Tell us about it. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. But if I can, you know, if it's within... Uh, a reasonable travel range for me, and it's recent enough that there might still be some evidence. I mean, obviously, if something occurred 30 years ago, there's not going to be anything left. But um, sometimes it comes up where there were, where it was just a few days ago. The weather is decent. It's um, on, on land where I can either get permission or it's public, you know, so that I'm not trespassing. I try to be very careful about that. Um, a really good example of that happened in June of 2007, when there was a group of uh, young people in their teens and 20s who told me they were chased down a small gravel road that leads to Lake Michigan between Milwaukee and the city of Racine, which is just about adjacent to it. And this was pretty decent weather. There had been a rain, so I knew the ground was muddy. And um, the people seemed credible. In fact, it wasn't them who called me. It was uh, one of their aunts who had heard the story and really thought that it ought to be shared and and they finally reluctantly agreed so it wasn't like you know kids trying to pull a prank or anything Uh, but even though at the time i was just uh, had just finished chemotherapy and wasn't in too great a shape but i had my husband drive me over there anyway because that one was too good to miss and that one um yielded some really surprising things because I made a very careful search of the, the site, um, going in some little roads that led off of, of the main road. They were really just little tractor tractor uh, lanes because most of it was farmland. And happened to find a large area of clay-like mud where you could see a deer had been there 
And you could see where its back feet had sprung out surprise, and then all around it were these weird canine tracks. And some of them were eight inches long. They showed claw points. Um, they were not bare prints. There's a, there's a big difference. And I was able to take quite a few pictures, and that yielded the photos that I've got. Well, you probably saw one of the photos in the Michigan Dogman sure. uh, Werewolves book, um, and I've got somewhere on, on uh, my MySpace page. But that was really worth it. That was an example of, of a case where it was really worth my time to, to go and investigate. And I do that whenever possible. And I've been all over Michigan and and uh, to some sites in, in Illinois and a few other places. But I'll have to slow you down here. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we've got a break coming up, uh, Linda. Sure. But um, we are um, going to talk. I'd like to talk a little bit about physical evidence when we get back. And Great. we're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Our guest is Linda Godfrey. Our subject, American Werewolf. Stay with us. Join Kimmy Rose on Interviews, Thursday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. Together as a community, we will embrace the challenges in life and find a way to experience heaven on earth. Spiritual teachers and Kimmy will bring you insight on how to change your life and embrace purpose. Interviews, this Thursday night starting at 9. It's all about what's within you. When I get to Warwick Avenue, meet me by the entrance of the tube. We can talk things over a little time. Promise me you won't stay by the line. When I get to Warwick Avenue, past and be true don't think we're okay just because i'm here you heard me back but i won't shed a tear Baby, you've heard me. 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And we are back with our guest, Linda S. Godfrey, author and expert on the American werewolf situation, uh, or, or canine cryptids, if you prefer. And, uh, Linda, the obvious question, we've been discussing the Beast of Bray Road and the, the uh, Michigan Dogman, and the obvious question in the, the minds of many listeners is going to be, okay, what's, what's the evidence for this? Um, I, I once did a, did a case, a ghost research case in a school in Massachusetts, and everyone was paranoid because... If you, have a, you mentioned school and ghost in the same sentence. Legends immediately grow around it. Generations of kids and parents will be talking about this ghost. I mean, I suppose the same thing can happen with any area of, of this sort of this sort of paranormal study. What physical evidence uh, have you uncovered for the existence of such creatures? Not that I'm denigrating eyewitness reports. The first thing they look for in a court of law is an eyewitness. And I think eyewitnesses are very reliable, despite the opinions of some of my colleagues. And uh, so, so what, what, what physical evidence have you, have you uncovered? Well, first of all, I agree with you about the eyewitnesses. Um, most of the time, if you interview someone carefully, you can get a pretty good sense for whether they're on the level or putting you on. Especially, you know, I worked at a newspaper and interviewed two to three people a week. For I mean, you know, it adds up to a lot of people. You get a really good feel after a while. Plus, that very first Monster Quest episode, we brought in um, seven witnesses, I think, more than actually could be shown on airtime, and uh, asked them if they would do the polygraphs. Every single one said, yes, I know what I saw. I'm not a bring on any test. Every single one of them, even the ones the producers secretly kind of disbelieved, came in 100%, uh, you know, that absolutely no deception was involved. So I, I do think that um, with very few exceptions, the eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses are very strong. Probably the best other evidence has been in footprints, where we either have photographs or witness drawings of them. And they seem to be um, very much like a canine print except elongated, as if something had almost adapted longer dog-like feet, which makes a lot of sense. If it's if you're talking about a natural creature that is somehow adapted to walk upright, natural selection is going to eventually uh, pick out the ones that have the longer feet because they can balance better and, and run more easily if they've got bigger feet. You know, than those little teeny. You know, dogs normally walk on what would be just our their toe pads in, in, if we're comparing to a human foot. Mm-hmm. So um, we have the footprints. What we don't have is anything like fur or, um, you know, a- any video or photographs that I believe really hold up well. However, it's not too surprising because I really think that um, they don't appear to have. It's not like they're half human. They are fully canine or wolf-like in almost every incident, unless there's one that has a, a supernatural overtone. Sometimes those are a little mixed, and I think perhaps then we are dealing with a very different phenomenon in that case. But as far as talking about natural creatures, I think if you got the hair sample, you would find that it was either dog or wolf, and the same with um, feces that might be found, any kind of spore that, that way. And even if you had a dead body, um, whereas if you found a dead Bigfoot, you'd go, wow, there's a dead Bigfoot. You know, I've got the prize of the century. But if you saw one of these, 
you go, wow, that's a really big dead wolf or that's a really big dead kind of weird looking dog Mm. because there really wouldn't be that much um, evident when you see them lying down. And they all can go on four legs evidently because many, many, many witnesses will, when they first see it, it'll either be standing up or hunched over and they'll see it either stand up and run off on two legs or they'll have first seen it running along on two legs and then when it notices it's being watched it'll drop down to all fours and run away that way that just happened um, just this past october on bray road to several witnesses who all saw it uh, together Uh, and there were two animals that did that at the same time so yeah which is it made a lot of sense the field was so muddy it had been raining that day it was uh, kind of warm yet and it was a full moon happened to be a full moon which not every sighting is it just I, I actually think that it's just easier to see them on a full moon you know than on a really dark night. yeah that's a sensible answer yeah yeah but um they were out in the middle of a mud field where it would be insane to, if you were a human wearing a fursuit you know <laughs> mm-hmm. i can't i can't imagine trying to muck through uh mud like that it was you know a field that had been already uh, harvested and and, uh, probably spread with manure, for all I know. And the people saw them very clearly silhouetted under this full moon, and there was enough light. Uh, The the two things swiveled their heads around and looked at the car as soon as it stopped, and they realized something had stopped and was watching them. And they could see yellow eye shine from the eyes, which is very typical of a canine. A wolf or a dog will have yellow or yellow-green eye shine. And as soon as they looked and saw the people, they both immediately dropped to all fours and ran off on all fours into the night. And uh, it's, it's not quite so typical to get two animals at a time, although it does occur, but it is very typical uh, for it to go bipedally and then quadrupedally mm. in, in sequence or vice versa. Okay, go ahead, Ben. Okay. Um, do you actually believe in lycanthropy or werewolves? Or could these creatures be multidimensional? Or neither. Or both? <laughs> well, that's that's a whole bunch of different scenarios. I do not believe in Hollywood-style, Lon Chaney-type werewolves or Twilight-style werewolves where you see a human and it fully transforms into, you know, flesh and bone into a werewolf. Um, I think it's very possible that there could be creatures in other dimensions that could visit us. Um, you know, that's been shown by modern physics that there are a minimum of 11 other dimensions. Many of them probably sound like they're too minuscule to interact with us, but you never know. Physics is a crazy thing. And mm-hmm. uh, Native Americans have been telling us that things come in through what they call spirit doors. Uh, we might call them portals. For or or multidimensional windows, um, forever. That's that's part of their core belief, and people have seen what they call portals. Uh, you're probably familiar with the Skinwalker Ranch. Oh yeah. Story. Yeah, where people actually saw portals and saw people and creatures and things coming out of them. So those those are all po- and I don't discount any of those possibilities. Um, the idea of Creatures being created by shamanism is is a whole other thing. And this is where a person would uh, somehow conjure or call forth through means of magic ritual or certain practices something that comes from 
what you might say is another dimension or a spirit area. Who knows what, what it is really. And some people believe that what they're actually doing is focusing the power of the human mind to create a thought form, to make a thought into a thing. Yep. And they, they create this image of an animal that either envelops them kind of like a, a, a psychic costume, if you will, or an image that can go out from them and go out and, and do their bidding and appear to be solid and real, but isn't, you know, can be recalled. And so you have all these different possible explanations. And uh, sometimes I think that um, in the overall body of sightings, which is quite a bit larger, most people who've been reading this last book I've written have expressed extreme shock at how many sightings there are when you take the other two books into consideration, too. Um, when you look at it overall, it may be that there's a combination of these different things going on. Well, that leads right into the next question because uh, in our work we deal all the time, I'd even say on a daily basis, with the idea of what people would call portals and, the, and, and what we call the multiverse approach to things. We talked a little bit about this before, while you we were being vetted for the show. But w- when you visit – and this is why I asked the next question. When you visit the scenes of these canine cryptid incidents, do you ever encounter evidence or people talking about other kinds of paranormal phenomena – Operating in tandem with these things, like UFOs, ghosts, other cryptids, because right. this is a multiversal factor would increase the chances of that in our experience. Yeah, and that's that's a great question, and um, I do I do always with every case, if it, even if it's one that I can't physically get to, I go to an atlas and Google Earth it and look really closely at the terrain. I look at the geographical makeup. And I also look at the social and cultural context. In other words, um, what's around it. And you'd be surprised at how often what's around it is either a crossroads, uh, a church or a churchyard, an old cemetery, um, Native American burial grounds, those four, or, or even a military area. Those five things come up over and over and over again. And the odd thing is that they overlap identically. And I go into this at the end of uh, the Michigan Dogman book with the black phantom dog phenomenon that is very prevalent in Great Britain and other uh, European countries. No. So that would, you know, in, that would suggest. I also, when I interview um, witnesses, if I have the chance, I like to ask them if they have had um, any type of um, unusual, I usually just say unusual experience before so that they don't I don't take their answer any more than 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 necessary and I'd say it's about 50 50 um half of them will say oh I saw a UFO when I went once or um you know there was a ghost in my house but the other half will say I've never had anything out of the ordinary until this and it, it just pretty much rocked my world so I I don't know that um you know ha- people having previous experience opens them up or not, but it seems just as likely to happen to somebody who's never had anything. Well, we get very frustrated by the Western way of thinking. It, uh, as I'm always saying, it, it takes things apart rather than puts them together, and it categorizes and pigeonholes everything. So we find that uh, not in every case do people have multiple uh, phenomena going on, but they often will but won't notice it. Uh, sure. We work on cases for years, and I'm sure you do lots of follow-up as well. And we find that people, you know, and, and we'll run into it ourselves uh, on site, you know, various things that, that, that don't, you'd think would not be related 
to each other because we don't think of UFOs and ghosts and cryptids in, in, in exactly the same as being part, you know, different sides of the same coin. Talking about a multiversal coin with eight or ten different sides. And, sure. uh, so I, so I certainly see what you mean. And we do the same thing. You know, we'll get down with the maps and, and we'll be looking at, matter of fact, that there's even a, a soil engineer will occasionally bring with us, or not lately, but uh-huh. he'll, you know, be able to tell with the hot water table, you know, conducting electromagnetic uh, fields and all this stuff. And it's all That's relevant. Great. Yeah, right. so um, you, you sound like you work as though, uh, you know, uh, you, know you, you could be part of our team, too. Oh, so. I'd love to, yeah. Yeah, and, and really, to me, that's the only way that you can do it and say that you're actually investigating. I mean, you just have to take the, to me, you have to take the whole environment into context. And there are places, uh, I do get um, reports of haunted places, other cryptids, and UFOs. Um, which are always interesting to me, and I, I note if if that's been reported. There's one, for instance, that I'm following um, in Akron, Ohio, where a family's been kind of suffering visitations of an upright cryptid that, that sort of haunts the fringes fringes of their their rural farmyard, and at night runs up and smashes against their siding, leaves dents, leaves scratches. Um, they don't have a lot of money. I've been trying to get them to set up spotlights that they can turn on and flood the yard with light when it comes. And mm-hmm. and they actually have put up a, a, a trail cam in the meantime, a motion-sensitive camera, so we're waiting on that. But um, the mother had experiences of a UFO not very long Oh, we before. have to take a break. I'm sorry. We're going to... Uh, sure. Go ahead. Just before the touchdown. Yeah. Well, we're on Behind the Paranormal here, CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us as we continue to talk with Linda Godfrey, our marvelous, what am I looking at here? Oh, yeah, a guest here. And we'll be right back. Stay with us. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries. Now that I've lost everything to you, you say you want to start something I've seen a lot of 
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Okay, we are back with Linda Godfrey, our author and cryptid expert, and Ben has the question of the evening. All right, so what do you do if you meet one of these things? That's a great question, Ben. <laughs> um, exercise extreme caution would probably be my biggest byword because nobody really knows what these creatures are. We don't know if you're dealing with an actual wolf that has gotten used to um, hanging around people and, and therefore has lost its fear or if it is some kind of a supernatural thing. What I can tell you is that of all the people who have seen it, and I, I, I stopped counting over 100, and this is counting many who were in who saw it in the wild with nothing between them and it but a few feet of air? No one has yet been hurt, or um, more than one a couple of little scratches at the at the very most. And people have told me that they felt it was angry that they saw it, that they felt it wanted to eat them, that they were lunch, and <laughs> just terrified out of their wits, and they'd either start running or be distracted. And at the first opportunity even though the creature is lunging at them or chasing them, at the first opportunity, it runs into whatever cover there is and gets out of their sight. Um, so basically the, the MO seems to be that it wants to frighten people away but not eat them. But there's always a first time, you know, so I, I wouldn't say treat it lightly because uh, just because that seems to be the experience of others. There could be some who never lived to tell the tale. Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question, because uh, you, you answered it. You know, what sort of a threat can these things be? Has anyone ever been hurt? And before the break, you were describing a, a creature of this kind, apparently, that has been uh, attacking uh, the side of a house. Uh, right, and, and that's fairly common. Um, they seem to be very attracted to houses. People will see them peering in windows, or they'll see them uh, from the outside peering into the, the windows of barns and chicken coops. Um one witness in Illinois saw four of them pass by their house, go to a neighbor's house, and then start four crawling all over. Four of them, yeah, yeah, crawl up on the neighbor's roof and just kind of swarm around it, and then they crawl down and slunk off, and they never knew what they did. The neighbor never knew it. But um, they seem to have this attraction to houses, which is I find one of the creepiest things. Crawling around on the roof. Gee, in Rhode Island, we have a vulture problem here. We should count our blessings, I guess. Uh, I would add one thing real quickly. The one thing I would advise, if you can do it safely, if you have a camera, please take a picture. Because 
I'm just waiting for the day when I do get a good recognizable one that isn't just shadows in the brush or look here's a brown shape in the pine trees you know that kind of thing yeah okay Ben's got a question okay so what behaviors do they exhibit like what are they like animals or do they show intelligence like what's what's up with these things well they look like animals um, I mean it's not like they have human noses or you know hands or anything like that but people will often say to me that they felt there was some kind of an awareness um, beyond that of an animal looking back at them they feel the word that I often hear used is sneer they, they say I felt like it was sneering at me like it knew more than I did it wanted me to leave they'll feel that they're almost getting uh, telepathic messages not in words but in images or ideas and it's usually translated as you're there, I'm here, you can't get me don't tell anybody, I know where you live I'll come and get you if you tell anybody I'd like to eat you (laughs) you know, that kind of thing but um, they never really follow up on it but they they feel that the animals are very very aggressive and intelligent enough to evade capture if they want to you know what comes to mind here I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking Ben but we deal with we we believe they're interdimensional creatures that are responsible for legends of demons and this sort of thing and we refer to them as yeah and we refer to them as parasites and I have on, on several occasions had physical contact with this and this goes back to the 1970s and I remember one occasion, I talk about it on the air a lot, when I was trying to protect a child in a poltergeist case. And uh, there were four entities that could be barely seen, gauzy entities, and the family was in the room here, and a reporter was there too, coming down. And one of them, uh, when I had this physical contact, was trying to get around me to get to the child, and I could feel uh, bones. I, I could feel like it was just as if I was pushing against a physical creature. Wow. And uh, and I I often characterize people often ask me what what sort of creature was it well not being an anatomist I really couldn't say but it it felt almost bird like but uh, you know the danger of hindsight is mm. I look back and I say I it could have been dog like what say you yeah um, I think that is entirely possible I do not deny that there's a spiritual world that there are other beings you know. I mean, it it only makes common sense. We know for a fact that we cannot see all light waves. We cannot hear all ranges of sound. You know, we're limited in our perceptions. So what makes us think that there aren't creatures living in a place that we simply can't see most of the time, but that sometimes, uh, you know, for various reasons, it becomes visible? Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, not to interrupt, but it seems to me that we, we apply names to these phenomena and these creatures, depending on what they're doing and where we right. encounter them and what we're doing at the time. I was in a context of a poltergeist case. I was a student for the priesthood. There, were, there was a priest with me, uh, not at the time, but you know, he was involved. And uh, it was we, we, we pigeonholed it in our own way, according to one our own understanding. But, I mean, could we really have been dealing with perhaps some sort of uh, thing that other people in another context might have seen as a canine cryptid? Maybe. I think we need to consider that. And, you know, that would really explain why you get these window areas and how how so many large predators could live within a certain small area where where they're sighted. Exactly. If they're all all just different manifestations of the same 
energy that we don't understand yet, you know, that would make a lot of sense and, and explain many things. Well, we talked about window areas, so to speak. And during the break, you mentioned the uh, Jefferson Square of Weirdness, as you call it. What's that about? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a strange name. But I started realizing as I cataloged uh, incidents and sightings that there was a particular area in the Jefferson County, Wisconsin, which is the county directly north of where the Bray Road sightings occurred. And the center of the county is the city of Jefferson, and it's the site where one of the earliest sightings back in 1936, and what, probably one of the most famous, a night watchman saw a creature digging in an Indian burial mound, and it stood up on its hind legs, and it had a canine head, looked at him and said what sounded like Gadara in sort of a, what he called a proto-human voice. He saw it on two consecutive nights. And uh, that is the center, that, and that happened at a place that cared for developmentally disabled children where Rosemary Kennedy um, was eventually placed. Um, and I started realizing there were so many phenomena. We had uh, large, giant bird sightings in that in the certain certain 13-square-mile area, starting with Jefferson at its center. There were large bird sightings. We have um, the ancient site of Aztlan, where there are pyramidal structures uh, that were used by the Mississippian people that we really don't know much about that mm-hmm. lived uh, quite a long time ago. Um, there are many Bigfoot sightings. You have many Beast and Bray Roads-type sightings of the unknown canines. UFOs galore. Um, the Kettle Moraine State Forest, which is sort of a hotbed of these things, runs through it. There's a haunted road. You name it. This 13 square miles. And, you know, the 13, the number 13 has sort of this occult significance, too. So that struck me as odd that it would be 13 square miles, but that you can include all of these things in. And it just seems to be one of these window areas described by the late great researcher John Keel. Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, we're going to take another break here. We're right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, with our guest, Linda Godfrey. So stay with us. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the rest, directs you where to go So make the best of this test and don't ask why It's not a question but a lesson learned in time It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right I hope you at the time of your life So take the photographs and still friends in your mind Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time Tattoos and memories and dead skin on trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right I hope you had the time of your life
wonderful, but in the end it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. It's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. But in the end, it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, and Psychic Radio, PsychicOnAir.com, powered by CBS Radio, AOL, and Yahoo, is unlike any talk radio station. With a mission to improve the world, one listener at a time. This is where you can be the star of your own show. Our listeners are truly unique, truly interactive, and passionate about their world. The Sky and Psychic Radio listeners genuinely care about the environment, social justice, their personal health, and raising people up to live their best life every day. Our motto is New Horizons, No Boundaries. New Age Views, Life Coaching, Psychic Analysis, Alternative Medicine, and Cutting Edge Mind, Body, and Spirit shows can all be found on the Sky and Psychic Radio. Perhaps you have what it takes to join our broadcast family, an open mind, a great idea, and a passion for enriching lives. Check out all the exciting details by clicking the microphone on our homepage at NewSkyRadio.com or give Lisa Rodman a call at 248-546-9600 to learn just how affordable it can be to host a show. Join Kimmy Rose on Interviews, Thursday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. Together as a community, we will embrace the challenges in life and find a way to experience heaven on earth. Spiritual teachers and Kimmy will bring you insight on how to change your life and embrace purpose. Interviews, this Thursday night starting at 9. It's all about what's within you. I'm Sue Lundquist. I want to help you to embrace the life you've always envisioned. Listen to us on the I'm Thankful Network, Monday through Friday. Listeners from all the backgrounds come together as we identify the truly important aspects of life. The I'm Thankful Network is like comfort food for the soul. In short, we want you to be positively positive about where you are headed. Join us every weekday for the I'm Thankful Network. Fun, educational, and empowering. Tune in to find yourself all over again. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries. All day long, we're devoted to your emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. With your direct connect to the stars, Lisa J. Smith, The Dr. Pat Show, Liz Souza, Barbara Mackey, Glynis McCants, The Wake Up Call, with L. Newman and Tom Force. Let us know how we're doing. 248-545-7685. Log on. NewSkyRadio.com. 24 hours a day. Your spiritual well-being is our concern. Awaken the extraordinary. Live the life you've imagined. 
Look up to the sky. CBS Radio's The New Sky. NewSkyRadio.com. New horizons, no boundaries. CBS Radio The Sky and NewSkyRadio.com are presented only for entertainment purposes and will not be liable or accept liability for any loss or damage of whatever nature which may result from advice or information offered. Join Mystic Radio with Rob and Alexis Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern and 12 noon Pacific as metaphysical mother and TV personality Robin Alexis helps countless people around the globe live fuller and more conscious lives. Robin serves you using her gifts as a medium, medical intuitive, past life reader, and more. Get your free on-air readings Wednesday at 3 Eastern and 12 noon Pacific right here on the sky. And check out Robin's Soul Spa at RobinAlexis.com. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries. All day long, we're devoted to your emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. With your direct connect to the stars, Lisa J. Smith, The Dr. Pat Show, Liz Souza, Barbara Mackey, Glynis McCants, The Wake Up Call, with L. Newman and Tom Force. Let us know how we're doing. 248-545-7685. Log on. NewSkyRadio.com. 24 hours a day. Your spiritual well-being is our concern. Awaken the extraordinary. Live the life you've imagined. Look up to the sky. CBS Radio's The New Sky. NewSkyRadio.com. New horizons. No boundaries. Join Kimmy Rose on Interviews, Thursday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. Together as a community, we will embrace the challenges in life and find a way to experience heaven on earth. Spiritual teachers and Kimmy will bring you insight on how to change your life and embrace purpose. Interviews, this Thursday night starting at 9. It's all about what's within you. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we are back after a little technical glitch, and we're just going to go right to a question Ben had. Okay, so we probably only have time for one question, but what is the Native American like background of werewolves? Like, What is their connection well, you know, you can't talk about them as if they're just one unified impression because you have to talk about the different nations and peoples, and they're all very different. But in general, um, what I get from talking to people of, of many of the different nations is that they all seem to believe that the Bigfoot and the man-wolf, as I like to call it, are spirit animals that were known to their ancestors that have been around for longer than us and that know how to travel back and forth between what they call spirit worlds and what we would call dimensions. And that is why they seem to be able to get away. That's why you never find a dead Bigfoot body. And they there is some sort of ancient business that prevents them from eating us. So it really does explain why people see these things and never get attacked if if uh, you buy into that, you know, if that's if that's your belief system. Hmm. No, oh, wow, that's right. well. I about the term "dog soldiers" uh, that some of the tribes use. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting thing. That the Cheyenne dog soldiers evolved as uh, sort of a totem of uh, 
of their nation and they were supposed to be special protectors of the people and they had this um, special idea that they would stake themselves to a battleground and that meant they were not moving until they either conquered or were killed and as a result they got a reputation for being very fierce fighters they participated in just about every major U.S. Uh, world worldwide war or major war that there was as actual soldiers and what friends of mine believe from that nation is that um, when some of them were killed after taking their stance that earned them the right to come back as spirit creatures and that they have come back as these canine shaped humans and that they guard sacred places the same way that they would have guarded their troops you know in battle and so that there's a, a distinct relationship between the two well, there's some food for thought. Linda, we are out of time. I'm so yeah. sorry, but we're definitely <laughs> going to do this again. Thank you for a great show, and we'll be in touch off the air. And keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks very much. And my site is beastofbrayroad.com. We'll oh, please, all by all means. We'll yes. give you all, all the links. It's beastofbrayroad.com. We'll give you all the links. Beastofbrayroad.com. It'll be on our site, too. Thank uh, you. Very good. Uh, talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, Linda, uh, Linda Godfrey. Go ahead, Ben. Okay, don't miss our New England Drive Time show in the Boston-Worcester Province Triangle on WON 1240 AM and com tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. Right? Uh, well, not right here, but... Well, somewhere else. Uh, okay. All right. And again, uh, don't forget to check our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can see some information on all our guests, including Linda Godfrey, upcoming and past. And you can also buy my books, such as they are, uh, subscribe to our newsletter, or apply to become a reporter. And all of our podcasts are available at NewSkyRadio.com or at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. Coming up on 250 podcasts, all available on that site. And we want to thank our producer, Will Kosnick, and we'll see you right here next Sunday, February 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, when Ben and I will welcome, finally, New York Times bestselling author Steve Alton to talk about 2012, The End of Days. And I will put a question mark behind that. Steve uh, is a novelist. We don't often have novelists on the show, but Steve does his homework. He's a very good uh, nonfiction expert as well on this subject, and he's uh, ventured into it for the first time. It's going to be very interesting. Okay, you can hear rebroadcasts of Behind the Paranormal on Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific. Right here on CBS News Sky Radio. And uh, this week, uh, we, I'm not sure how much time we have, but I'll leave you with a quote from the great American writer Henry David Thoreau, who was also a cousin of ours here in New England. A quote, if you have built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That is where they should be. Now put foundations under them, unquote. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time.